No helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I've never said he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a <laughs> How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging. Mostly because there's no grass on the golf course. But there never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag, and I, I hope the swag bag. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What is going on, folks? Welcome back to Beltway Golfer Podcast number 58. Your host, Alex Dixon, here. Got another fun one for you. Sat down with a gentleman named Nick Green, who has spent the majority of his career in the world of golf. Um, he is a Brit, as, you, as you'll quickly hear from his from his accent and voice uh, during our conversation, but he's been based in Montgomery County for quite some time. Uh, has um, had his hand in golf in, in a variety of ways. He's currently founder or co-founder of two separate businesses. One, his consulting business, uh, as well as being a player agent for about nine golfers, which he talks about with progressive golf, sports, and entertainment. And how about this for timing? We sat down and recorded our conversation uh, out at Washington Golf and Country Club on Friday, August 26th. He mentions it in our conversation when he's talking about a couple of different players that he represents. Um, but one of them, Thriston Lawrence, he quickly talks about how he's competing in the European Masters on the, on the, uh, on the DP World Tour this past weekend. Uh, Thriston went on to win it. So, um, as this podcast coming out, um, just two days ago, this Sunday, Thriston Lawrence, uh, wins the European masters and shoots up to ninth in the, uh, in the European rankings. Um, how's that for timing? So, so big weekend for, for Nick Green and pro progressive sports and entertainment as, uh, one of the, one of their guys brings him a, a big trophy over in Europe. Pretty cool. Wild timing. Um, but uh, we hit on a lot of topics. We, we really didn't talk about Tristan Lawrence really at all. You know, we hit on both the businesses that, that Nick has founded. Uh, he, towards the end of the conversation, we talk about Nick being uh, a, a golf digest course raider, which is, which is interesting. Um, but he's been in, in around the game of golf since, since, um, since he was a kid. Um, and there were so many different things to, to hit on. One of the things I never even brought up that was on my list, but we didn't mention at all that is uh, he, he's played golf with, with Seve Biosteros. Wanted to ask him about that, but um, just totally forgot. We just got caught up in some other stuff. Um, but the, the, one of the main purposes we wanted to get him on is we hit, we hit on it right at the beginning of the conversation is on September 12th. He's doing the 100 hole hike down at Schoolhouse 9. Um, to support youth on course. And that's being put together by the Virginia state golf association. We do mention a couple other people in this podcast and reference them being on, uh, on the belly golfer podcast. One of them being with schoolhouse nine and the owner cliff Miller and architect Mike McCartan. That's episode 28. If you want to check that out as well as he mentions, uh, Josh Stevie, who he's playing with in his foursome at the hundred hole hike, uh, Josh, was on the podcast with Brian Kington, episode 37. So uh, definitely check those out as well. Uh, but it was a fun conversation and um, 
you know, I also pitched pretty early on my, my own concept for a hundred hold hike. If you think it's crazy or if you want to uh, be a part of it, uh, as I, as I think through putting it together, shoot me a note. Um, also this week, uh, the third edition of the Bellway Golfer newsletter is being put out. If you are not subscribed yet, go to bellwaygolfer.com forward slash newsletter and just enter your email. You're signed up or just shoot me a note on social media and just send me your email address and I'll, and I'll get you signed up either way. Um, but it's a good way to stay up to date. What's going on belly golfer, but also, uh, what's going on around the mid Atlantic and the DC area in terms of golf news stories that you might've missed. Um, so certainly check it out. Um, gave a shout out on Instagram, but want to do it here as well. Uh, since the lad pod, last pod played a, a couple fun rounds, including this past weekend out at the, the Tinder box, event hosted by and put together by uh, another former podcast guest, Desiree Walker, um, who I should have looked it up. She's either episode five or six. She was an early one, um, but she's the founder of Road to Par, and she puts on this annual event. It was the seventh annual Tinderbox Classic. Tinderbox is a cigar store down in Waldorf. Um, but it was a scramble, and I got paired up with three ladies from Philadelphia that are part of the Green Ladies Golf club up in the Philly or Philly area that apparently is the oldest golf club um, of made up of uh, African-American women in the Delaware, Delaware Valley, um, which is, you know, kind of like Wake Robin here in D.C. Um, they're not quite that old, but uh, another historic um, African-American female golf club up in the Philadelphia area. And I had an absolute blast with my three playing partners. So I want to give them a shout out. Um, but that's it. Otherwise, uh, one sponsor to talk about today, Four Craft Cocktails, Transfusion in a Can, and they should be real close. By the time this comes out, you might be able to get some of the other flavors that they're getting ready to drop, including Four Tea, Ranch Water, Bloody Mary. Haven't had them yet, but I'm excited to. Um, go to fourcraftcocktails.com, F-O-R-E, craftcocktails.com and you can order them directly to your house uh, on their website uh, but they're also uh, available on retailers in Virginia, Washington DC and I believe South Carolina um, we'll have to double check that on fourcraftcocktails.com but definitely Virginia and DC which is most relevant, relevant here and if you're in Maryland listening uh, just again go to fourcraftcocktails.com uh, website and you can order them directly to a house and their transfusions are absolutely delicious. They bumped them up to 7% ABV, pre-mixed premium vodka with uh, ginger ale, lime juice, and grape juice ready to go in a can. Big fan. That's it. Let's get to the podcast uh, conversation with Nick Green, uh, founder of McDuff Consulting and co-founder of Progressive Sports and Entertainment. And uh, congratulations, Nick and team on uh, on your client, Thriston Lawrence's big win this past weekend at the European Masters. Here it is. Enjoy. So we're, we're out here at, uh, we're in the Wilson Room at Washington Golf and Country Club. That's right. With Nick Green. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks, Alex. Uh, first of all, thank you for, for helping set up these, uh, these accommodations. This is, this, I've never been in this room before. It's beautiful. Uh, for for any, any folks that are checking this out on YouTube, um, no video. Uh, club policy, and we're respecting that. So this is this is a pure audio podcast. Uh, but uh, you and I, we we, have, we didn't meet too long ago. We met, met I don't know. We keep they, dancing around each other, I think, right? For we, the last we, few years, right? We we played golf at, at Laurel Hill, we did. and uh, and and your reputation preceded you. I was aware of 
of who you were and, and followed you on social media, certainly McDuff Golf, your uh, consulting business, uh, which is your at least one of your social media handles, McDuff, McDuff, McDuff Golf, Golf. Yeah. Right. Um, so let's let's. There's there's a couple of different reasons that were that were a lot of different reasons I want to sit down and talk to you, um, but let's get one right out. We're, we're going to talk about your history, all the different things that, that you do in golf. But let's get one right out of the uh, right out of the way early. Second week of September, you were doing uh, which most golfers are familiar with at this point. One one of these hundred hole hikes with youth on course. Why don't you t- tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, goodness knows why I got cajoled into this, but because I'm. Uh, uh, getting old, but we're going to do a hundred hole hike um, at Schoolhouse Nine. So that's the good news. Schoolhouse Nine, for no, those who don't know, is a wonderful golf course. Nine holes designed by Mike McCartan uh, down in Sperryville, Virginia, uh, and in association with uh, the VSGA, Virginia State Golf Association, um, and benefiting youth on course. Uh, we are doing um, one hundred holes in a day. Um, the we being. I think there are 10 hikers at that venue. Uh, My hikers are are friends of mine, Josh Steve, who's on the Link Soldier. Yeah, he was a a guest on the show. Right. I'd have to look up up which episode, but he and Kington. Very associated with with Laurel Hill, and we played with him out there. Dave Baisden, who's the artist. Yeah. Um, And Glenn Gray, who I call the PR guru, who works for Buffalo. Right, right. So the four of us are going to trek on down there, uh, and we are endeavoring to raise as much money as we can for Youth on Course, which is an organization, registered charity, um, that provides $5 green fees for girls and boys. Last time I looked, more than 1,700 golf courses in the country. So it's a great cause. Uh, and we're all out there rattling our tins, trying to get people to uh, to give us money. Well, it's a, it's a good choice, of course. You know, school right. has, school, <laughs> yeah. school has nine is nine par threes, so you're not you're not you're not playing you know so, you know some seventy five hundred yard course. Uh, and for frankly, I'd never get round. <laughs> so, but you uh, said there's ten golfers. Did you all organize together for this? The Virginia State Golf Association's organized it and pulled it all together. And hopefully, they'll have cold towels and drinks and food and what have you. Um, but we're we're organized and ready to go. So uh, it'll be fun. You know what? I cheated and I looked on the Youth on Course website last night for the hundred hole hike, and. They've got these kind of leaderboards for money raised. Right. And of all the different state associations, as of today, Virginia is, is leading all of the state associations raising money for the 100-hole hike yeah. uh, nationwide. And in Virginia, you know who's on top of the leaderboard? Uh, I guess that's me. It's I, you. I looked as well. <laughs> well, in my heart of hearts, I'm a marketing guy, but also I'm a sales guy. So I've been finding my friends, and there's been some very generous people who've uh, donated to, uh, to Youth on Course. Very good. Well, hopefully this podcast can help the momentum going. Um, I, I love the. Have you done a hundred hole hike before? Ever? Uh, <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, are, are you going to keep? Uh, you know, I thought there's a lot of these hundred hole hikes. Certainly, Youth on Course have been doing this for a few years, but there's also people been doing hundred hole hikes for, for various charities throughout the years. And sometimes they keep. You know, are you, are you going to be keeping score? Are you going to be? Is it going to make it competitive with the other three guys? You know. I, I my competitive days of, of playing golf are pretty much over. I enjoy it and hitting it, and when I find it, I hit it again. Sure. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to play all each nine. I'm using a different set of clubs, so I have many, oh wow, I have many many sets of golf clubs, way too many uh, in my office. And that's so an interesting wrinkle. I'm just going to choose three or four clubs from each set. I've got every set of golf clubs I've ever had since the age of 16. Oh wow, which is a long time ago. 
And so um, I kept them all. Don't ask me why. And moved them from country to country. Um, and so I'm going to play each nine holes. I'm going to use a different set of clubs just to mix it up. And, I, and then the other <clears throat> nine holes or whatever it is, I'll probably uh, just use a wedge. I read about the Pinehurst guy who played 460 holes in a day. I haven't heard about this. And he did one nine in six minutes, and he only used a 53-degree 50, wedge. And he holed out in six minutes, the whole, the whole nine. The whole nine. But he did 400 holes plus... Round and round and round, running, 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 oh with God. just I don't one know club. That's possible. Yeah, I didn't. Is that the cradle? Oh, the cradle. Yeah, not on number two. <laughs> right. um, wow. So, so, so you're, so you're going to come down. So that's eleven rounds. Doing the quick math. Yeah. Okay. You're going to have uh, you have eleven sets and eleven different we bags. Got, I got nine sets. Nine sets. Okay. And then I'll so I'll mix it up and one they'll play barefoot and and other people are joining us as well oh, over wow. nine different nine holes. Oh, interesting. Um, but uh, hopefully it doesn't turn into 16 of us on one nine because otherwise it's going to take forever. But the idea is to tee off around about 7 o'clock uh, and we had a meeting with VSGA and Youth on Course the other day and they seem to estimate we'll be done by 3 or 4. I mean, I may be carried off on a stretcher at 3 or 4. but yeah, it's, a, it's a swift pace. It isn't. A, it, we're not trying to run around. And as I tell these guys, i got a few years on them, so yeah. I'm really not trying to run around. I'm trying to enjoy it and have a good time. And I hope the weather's okay, that it yeah. isn't going to be 90 degrees. But anyway... Or thunderstorms or something. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. September twelfth. Yeah. September twelfth. I'll, I'll remember that day. That's actually my youngest son's first birthday. So oh. I'll, I'll be busy oh celebrating my, my, my kids. I know. I'm, I'm too old to have a one-year-old. But um, <laughs> first one-year-old birthday. Uh, that's re- that's very cool. And so, uh, real quick, so where, where can people go? Just youth on course. You can go to find it. You can go to one hundred wholehike dot org. Okay. And dig around and you'll find the Virginia State Golf Association um, in there. And that's where you'll find uh, me and Josh and Dave and, and Glenn and, and the other hikers. Sure. Um, before we get into everything Nick Green, um, I'm going to take one minute to pitch my, my idea on my own 100-hole right. hike. That's, gonna, that's on brand for me. And I want to hear you if you tell me this is crazy. I know it's crazy, but if it's doable. Yep. And, and if anybody listening can pitch in. Because it's Beltway Golfer, the yep. concept is... 100-hole hike, 100 different holes while circumference, uh, doing a full circumference around the Beltway. Wow. That's a great idea. I've, done the, I've, done, I've looked on the map. I've mapped it out. It's logistics. Logistics and coordination with golf courses, I think. In a day. Be, in a day. And I, so I, I think you'd probably have to fit. And I think my idea would be starting you know, down south of D.C., like maybe Bellhaven or Greendale. You'd have to figure out maybe do either a public hike or a private course hike. Private course might be easier if you did it on Monday when courses are closing or closed. But, the, uh, but you probably have to finish with a headlamp on, I would think. Um, are, are you playing three or four holes at each course? I mean, no, you, you do like nine or, or doing 18 or just, you know. It's no, doable. You, I think it's doable. That's a great we'll idea. See. We'll see if I ever put that together. I, it's, it's, an, it's a concept in my head, but I haven't. Not organized. Sounds like a fall of twenty three. Maybe, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so let, let, let's get into you and your history because I, I know you've gotten you've been in, in the in the in the golf world for for quite some time. Um, let's let's start with with present day, and then we'll go backwards okay. um, a, l- a little bit, and we'll, we'll kind of bounce around a little bit. But so right now, you you have two companies that you have a major role in, either founder slash owner. Um, you have the, the McDuff Golf Consulting, and feel right. free to correct how I... The, the yeah, McDuff Golf, yeah. McDuff Golf. But then you also have Progressive 
sports and entertainment? That's right. So we have, I wear two hats. Uh, McDuff Golf Consulting is a business I've uh, had for many, many years. Um, and I essentially, Washington Golf is a client of mine. It's one of the reasons we're sitting in their lovely Wilson room. Uh, so for, for Washington Golf, we produce their monthly magazine. They still produce a monthly magazine for the members. Uh, I've worked with them for many years. So, like, how would that even like how would that come about? Like, like when when you first started a relationship with Washington Golf, and they yeah. reached out to you and said, "Hey, we need somebody to to make a monthly newsletter for us or a monthly magazine." Correct, and it's content creating content, um, and uh, the logistics of creating content and pulling that content in from all the respective departments and people and putting it into a format where people want to read it. And we have uh, also a digital version of it, which is a member only publication, as you can imagine. Um, so folks within the club are the ones actually producing the content, like writing articles or stories or history. And then we edit it. I see. Okay. <laughs> we, that, we, it comes to us in raw format in many forms, PDFs and words and pages docs, and we pull it all together with all the photography. Okay. Uh, every month it comes around, as you know, as a man who does content, it comes around very quickly every month. Um, that seems like a lot of work. Just that, just your first example seems like a full time job. It's a lot of work, um, yeah. but it's it's very rewarding. Members enjoy it. It's called the T. Okay. Um, Patrick Toby, who's the GM here, found the logo from the twenties, and we used that and recreated that. Is it is it digital only or is it print? Kind? No, it's print. We oh, still cool. print it every cool. month, um, and also there's an app uh, in iOS and also in Android. Oh, cool. And then also we create it on the website for the members and they go in and see what's going on and who won what and and who won the swim. And this issue, September issue, which we've just gone to press, is always a tricky one because there's volumes of winners of pool and swim and pool and uh, which we create. Oh, wow. So you you got to keep folks up to date on like every every little nook and cranny, every, every, every small event that's happening within the club. As much as we can yeah. in a limited format. Sure, sure, um, sure. And then we can have run on digital. So I work with them. Um, yeah, what, what are some other examples? And then we've recently, uh, beginning of the year, we started working for Penfold Golf. Now, Penfold um, Golf is an old, nearly 100 years old British company that kind of fell to, uh, in, uh, to sort of rack and ruin 20 years ago mm-hmm. um, and uh, a guy up in Philadelphia approached us and, and we helped them with kind of three things uh, business strategy okay. communications and distribution so we're relaunching Penfold Golf to the US market uh, that you can go online um, and, and see at PenfoldGolfUSA.com but we're really helping them with the, um, the wholesale distribution and communications of the brand so there are right now there are golf bags and Obviously, there are golf balls because yeah. it's famous because of Goldfinger sure. way right. back when. Right. Um, and there are gloves and there are shoe bags, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole range coming for 23, including clothing. So like for, for the Penfold example, is one of the reasons they would, would work with, with you is that they're primarily over, you know, across the pond? And well, no. The actual the, the owner of the brand is here. Is actually up in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. um, and he's a Brit. Um, gotcha. And so... Uh, we we um, you know got along pretty well from the get go, yeah. and um, as as I'm sure other people pitched our services and said we think we can help you. But Penfold, I grew up playing Penfold, okay. So there's kind of a little inherent interest there, as opposed to oh, it's just another client. I love the brand. I've always loved the brand. All the iterations it went through in the '60s, '70s, '80s when I was playing golf. Is the current owner? Uh, is he somebody that acquired the brand after it kind of fell in hard times? Yeah, he- and he he acquired the the uh, uh, the marketing rights to it, 
um, and has he's a product guy and has come up with great products. And so hopefully people will see that when we yeah. when, as we get out there and we're in quite a number of clubs already um, and putting certain product into clubs. We're not putting the golf ball, for example, into clubs because we're not going up against Titleists. Right. But there's, there's a considerable range that's available online. So I'm helping them from a point of view of, of introducing to them the clubs that I know, okay. um, but also helping them from a strategic point of view that how do, how do we grow this brand over the next several years? Sure. Um, so I, help, I have a call later on this afternoon with a brand who are looking to do something similar, obviously completely non-competitive to that, who approached me and said, hey, we'd like to help. Can you help us? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Let's talk. So the way that... McDuff um, kind of acquires these clients. Is this really through relationships and your reputation and, and for all the years that you've been in the business? Yeah. Or are you, you know, soliciting, you know, meeting folks at the PGA show and other places and saying, hey, it, this is what we can do? It's like all sales. It's a little bit of a mixture of both. Yeah. Um, you know, we're pretty selective. I have to really love it. That's my, my number one arbiter of good taste is do I love it? If I feel passionate about it, then I'll get involved. Uh, we get approached for some things that I don't feel as passionately about and we respectfully decline. Okay. Um, we're, we, uh, obviously, we like to get paid, but we're not just taking things on just for the money. That's not really our, yeah. uh, our bailiwick to do that. I imagine that sometimes can be a tricky balance, but that's the, that's the key to enjoying what you do. It is about, of course. You got to, you know, I got a kid who went to college two weeks ago. We still have to pay the fees, but at the same time, um, no doubt, like you, you have to it, you have to feel something yeah. about what the content you're creating to really get into it 100. percent And if we don't, then you don't want to make that call right. and introduce that brand into your existing relationships. Approximately, how many clients? Ballpark? Uh, about four, and some okay. we talk about, and some we can't talk about. But Got we're it. helping behind the scenes. Interesting. Yeah. So this is really, would you, is, it, is it fair to label it as a, you know, a boutique consultancy? Yes, you know, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Interesting. Yeah. And then more recently over the last couple of years, a very old friend of mine going all the way back to when I was a, um, involved with the Volvo Tour, when I represented players on the Volvo Tour, which is now, which became the European Tour back, and then mm-hmm. it's now the DP World Tour. Right. Uh, Anders Davidson um, came to me and said, I want to be in the player business. And I, had been, I have been a player agent since 91, 1991. First client I signed was Peril Rick Johansson, the mm-hmm. two-time Ryder Cup player, and represented to him through his entire career, um, coincidentally another Swede. And Anders is based in Gothenburg. And he said, let's form a company um, that we represent players. Um, and so that's what we did. Um, and we've been, been reasonably successful, and we have players on... Uh, we don't have a player on the PGA Tour, uh, but we're recruiting. We have players on all the other major tours. Uh, Corn Ferry, LA, DP World, Epson, mm-hmm. LPGA, Asian Tour. So when did... And this is... Now we're talking about progressive. Progressive sports and entertainment. Okay. Yeah. So we do a couple of things. We have golf and we have hockey. I am not a hockey expert at all. I'm not involved in that business. But uh, from the, the Swedish point of view, they're very involved. And just as a timeline, when did progressive get started? We started about three years ago. Okay. So McDuff was, was already going for quite McDuff some time. McDuff has been going for 20 years. Um, and that's you know, kind of how I paid the bills. And then um, we started this um, and we have a... Uh, it's it's done very nicely so far, and um, we're uh, continuing to recruit. Our players are doing well. Um, Who we would you? Well, I, I ran into you 
at the Wells Fargo Championship at TPC Avenel. Yeah. And you were following one of your players. Am I, do I have that right? You're, you're right. Yeah. So um, really a great guy, Canadian, um, Drew Nesbitt. Oh, and sure. Mundy Cued. And shot 65. I can't remember where now. Um, Little Bennett, I think. I that, think. Was it Little? No. I, no. I, 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 um, I can't remember. I can't remember. But, yeah. He, he Mundy Cued into Wells Fargo. Um, and save for a six at the second hole there, the par three, he would have would have made the cut. He didn't make the cut. Yeah. Um, but Unfortunately, so, I think that was the hole that I ran into you at. Oh, that's what it was. You're right, behind <laughs> yes. second green. Yeah, exactly. He just it hit it green side. It was kind of bad timing. And pop, 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 pop. And oops, a daisy. But uh, so we have um, Drew is up. He plays the Canadian Tour. Uh, and these guys have got Corn Ferry qualifying coming up. Um, um, Brett White is in... Um, um, where is he playing? He's playing Minnesota this week. And we have uh, a number of other players. Uh, one of our star players is Tristan Lawrence, a guy not many people know yet, 25-year-old, won already on the DP World Tour. Okay. Uh, he was leading in Switzerland yesterday, shot 62. Um, Tristan Lawrence. Tristan Lawrence from South Africa. I imagine um, that's got to be an insanely competitive business. It is. The player business. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Um, I have a few questions. One, you know, if you were, again, ballpark, how many player agents or agencies there are, are there in golf? Are we talking oh. over 100? Are we talking 20? What are we, I have no idea. You know, there, there are, um, you know, there are different groups. I used to work for one of the big companies, ProServe, okay. here in D.C., which is why I ended up in D.C. Um, and thanks to the legend of Donald Dell, I got hired to come work here. Um, so there are the big, and ProServe's been swallowed up, and sure. I, I don't even know which agency owns Pro, the, what was ProServe, but there are big agencies, CAA and Wasserman and these kind, and then there are small shops like us. Is ProServe the one I could be way off on, on um, I'm over my head right now, but is ProServe the one that was founded by David Falk? No. No, it was founded by David, um, David by Dell. Donald Dell, Okay. and David Falk worked for Donald. Ah, okay. Yes, um, and they... You know, we, we, it's nothing to do with me whatsoever. <laughs> I make that quite clear. But um, that's where David Falk was during his heyday of signing all these NBA guys. And, and with, with Donald, a lot of Donald's help. Yes. Right. Okay. With Michael Jordan predominantly and Muggsy Bogues and all sorts of, and Dominic Wilkins and all sorts of guys. Again, David, not, David Falk just must have been the one that was in the press all the time because his, his a, face was, he was the face he always saw. And, and he ultimately went off and, and took Michael with him and formed fame. Uh, the agency of fame, but um, David worked for Donald. Um, Donald founded ProServe in the 70s with uh, Stan Smith and Arthur Ashe. ProServe just simply standing for professional services. Um, and so those were the first two clients. As, as Mark McCormack was doing his thing with the big three, with mm. Arnie and Jack and Gary, um, Donald Dell was asked by... Um, Arthur Ashe and Stan Smith, hey, why don't we do this in tennis? So there was, those were the big two agencies, pretty much the only two agencies, there was, which was ProServe owned tennis okay. and IMG, Mark McCormack's group at the time, owned golf. golf. Interesting. And then, of course, now the, mo- the wall of money over the last 30, 40 years has hit sports. And, and so so now, what does that landscape look like today? You've got dozens of agencies. As I say, you've got the, the boutique agencies, mm. seems to be the word du jour, right. of, of companies like Progressive Sports, where we have um, nine or ten clients in golf yeah. and, then, and then the hockey practice. Uh, and then you've got big companies like the Wassermans and Octagons, where they have dozens of clients. So what is, what is that pitch? Like when you sit down with an up-and-coming young golfer um, and, and, and they've got one of these big monster agencies also 
meeting with them at four o'clock and you're meeting with them at one o'clock. Right. I'm sure that's not the exact scenario, but something like that. You know, what is your pitch? Is it just, no. you know, more attention, more? That's exactly the scenario. That they're, yeah. If they're smart and we encourage anybody we're meeting with to go meet everybody. Yeah. As, as our competition does. The competition, of, you know, this is a professional business now. Um, and it's about the personal relationship that you can foster with that client. Can we do things that, that some of the big agencies can't do, uh, perhaps? Can they do some things we can't do, perhaps, too? Yeah. Uh, it's about the relationship. We all know the same people. Yeah. We all know a Cushnet and Callaway and Nike and all of these kinds of brands. Sure. Uh, it's it's uh, the personal relationship and belief in the ability of that particular player that they can go all the way. Personal service is obviously critical to that as well, but I don't have 100 staff yeah. hanging around so they're dealing when we sign them they're dealing with us the owners of the business yeah interesting uh, uh, well one thing for folks listening um, I was on it last night but I want to get the, the URL credit what is the website for Progressive they can see your whole uh, we're progressivese.com progressive S like sugar E meaning progressive sports and entertainment dot com and they can see your whole player list there yeah so going going back a bit, because you already kind of teased it a little bit that you said you, you had worked with some players on the Volvo tour. Yeah. So why don't we go into that a little bit? Okay. So as you know, folks can probably tell from your accent that uh, maybe you're, you're not, you, you know, you weren't born in the United States. So so uh, walk us through a little bit of, why don't, why, don't we, why don't we go all the way back? Okay. So, well, since we're, we're going to go back to England, why don't we? Why don't we let's st- go all the way back to <laughs> 1976. Okay. Is that far enough back? Sure. Um, I was a reasonably good golfer. I okay. thought I was really good. And okay. fortunately, like many, many people, discovered at an early enough age I wasn't that good. Um, and I had the good fortune um, at my club, North Hans, which is where, that's how I know Justin Rose, because that's the club Justin grew up. Not many people know that that also was the club of Greg Norman. Interesting. Okay. So um, I, when I was literally 16 years old, met Greg Norman. He wasn't the Greg Norm we know of the 90s or particularly now. He was this young kid with hair down to his, to his shoulders who came over and was represented by a very good friend of our, of, of our family, a gentleman named James Marshall. So he's still a junior golfer at this point? I was a junior golfer and Greg's got a few years on me, but he was 19, 20, 30, 22, something like that. But not on tour yet? But not on tour. Well, he... He turned pro in 1976. First tournament he ever played in, the Westlakes Classic, he won it. Came to Europe, 1977, March, something like that, of 1977, and played in the what was at the time the Martini International. First tournament he played in and won it. Okay. And so this was the days where we were at North Hans, and this tells you how I really am dating myself. The only way to find out was to call the press office and say, oh, how did Greg Norman... Oh, he get on. This is James Marshall, and I'm there in the room. Oh, he won. And so the, he won his first golf tournament, and the whole white, great white shark and all that thing came on, and James represented him for many, many years. So I was around Norman, played with him many times at oh, wow. North Hands. And then you realize how very, very inept you are at golf when you play with somebody like that. Right. Now, at the time, we didn't know he was, uh, air quotes, Greg Norman, sure. right? Yeah. Going to be... Uh, amazingly only won two majors but Mm -hmm. you know the greatest driver of a golf ball ever and so I saw James managing him and kind of saw okay I could probably do that bit I'm not going to be able to do the golf bit because I'm just not good enough right and so it was always in the back of my mind 
Uh, and by various means, I got very lucky and played with some people, played golf with people. Did James um, remain his agent for? He remained his agent till I believe 1984, and then okay. and then Greg signed with IMG. Got it. Uh, because Greg became this world brand, right? Um, and so um, the I saw what James was doing, said I think I could do that. I, I was I read Sales and Marketing University and thought, okay, well, let's see if we can get in the golf business because I eat, sleep, breathe golf, as I still do. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate that uh, Donald Dell hired me. Um, and um, in, he was making a trip to London. And we were sitting at Wentworth, and I was approached. Um, I, my so this prior, was your first job in the business? No, prior to that, I was working for Kellogg's. Okay. I went to Kellogg's, the cereal brand, and worked for Kellogg's out, straight out of university. But not related to any of that. I mean, you're, this is what was your role at Kellogg's? I was in sales and marketing. Oh, you were okay. Um, and um, fortunately, um, and, I, and I love Kellogg's. I still do to this day. It's just a fantastic, fantastic company. Moved from Kellogg's, got approached by a guy who was building a golf course, a Canadian guy, Brian Turner, um, building East Sussex National, which ultimately ended up hosting the European Open. Uh, and another event that was run by ProServe. I was the on-course guy for East Sussex National, and then ProServe said, hey, you kind of seem to know what you're doing. You want to come work for us? Okay. And that's where I met Donald, and he um, said, yeah, you can come work for us, but you're going to have to come to our office, which is in Paris. So I moved to Paris for four years and ran the European business and then um, ended up here getting involved in the U.S. business in golf. But always golf. It's all I know anything about, to be honest. So... When I was at ProServe, in, this is in the early 90s, then we were running events uh, all over the world. Um, so I was the commercial director of a lot of tournaments, making sure we made money, selling Got sponsorship. It. Got it. Uh, and on the ground, making sure the clients are happy. Is the coffee the right temperature? And are mm-hmm. you know, the boards in the right place? And is the television picture looking like it should look? So ProServe was in charge of running the tournament? The agency? ProServe was the agent. Just as we ran, ProServe ran many, many tennis tournaments, we also ran golf tournaments. Interesting. Okay. Is is that still kind of the way it works? Like where agencies would be the the ones running the tournament? Not so much here. The U.S. model is a little different. But that still happens in Europe. You have a promoter. I who owns the event, owns that week. So ProServe would be the promoter. We were the promoter. For got example, it. the uh, Volvo Open di Firenze in Florence. So we, we owned the week of Florence Open. We sold in the sponsorship, which was Volvo. Um, and then we sold all the other sponsorship around that. And, and me and my uh, team ran the event. Soup to nuts. Interesting. Other okay. than obviously everything on the golf course, which is the European Tour. So there's the distinction between on the inside the ropes and outside of the ropes. Everything outside of the ropes, we were responsible for. Everything inside the ropes, the actual scoring and the rules and all of those things, just as it is here, mm-hmm. is the responsibility of, of the European Tour as it was and now DP World. And I, same over here. The PGA Tour runs everything inside the ropes. And everything outside of that, generally, the European model is the promoter. And the American model... Like, take the Wells Fargo, for instance, where, where, we, where we're at Avenal, where we're running into each other. Right. Everything inside the ropes is PGA Tour. Outside the ropes... Is whoever the agency is of Wells Fargo or yeah. Wells Fargo themselves. Right. Wells okay. Fargo, I, I'm not familiar with that enough, yeah. but I suspect right. they have um, a team of Wells Fargo's people who are, are ensuring that the brand is presented in the right way, that the right people are coming to the hospitality, right, right. The tickets, et cetera, et cetera. Makes sense. So... 
um, whilst at ProServo signing players. So the first guy was was Peril Rick Johansson, um, Swede. Um, took me a while to sign him. Everybody wanted to sign him. He was a very hot prospect and won his, fourth, I think, fourth event out on the Belgian Open. Um, and ultimately played Ryder Cup 95 in Oak Hill, 97, Valderrama, and won both times. Um, so I was at that, at both of those events, okay. obviously. And then um, progressed to the European, to the PGA Tour, got his card here for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was here at that time with ProServe. It was so, around that time that you moved here? Or, or you, haven't, you haven't moved here yet. You were just coming for work. Uh, I'd moved in 95 okay. here. Um, and that was the transition. He was in Europe and moving, and then he ended up being here from 96, uh, 98 onwards for three or four years on the PGA Tour. Okay. Uh, and then, unfortunately, um, had to uh, struggle with his hips and had to, ultimately he's had hip surgery. So he was a, wasn't able, he doesn't play golf anymore. Oh, really to the level he did right, um, right. and then we also signed um, we had um, Katrin Nielsmark who was a Solheim Cup captain um, several other Swedes um, and so uh, yeah we've had a good Sam Torrance Ryder Cup captain um, so and then was oh, he was he still kind of in his prime when, he, when you worked with him well, not so much when, when he was Ryder Cup captain it was a little bit uh, later on but okay. he's you know he's a great guy and, yeah. and very uh, great interview Great interview. <laughs> I've heard a couple podcasts just, with him. He's, he's just great. A, yeah, and he's got more stories than you can yeah. shake a stick at. Right. Um, and then Justin Rose as well. Um, so we signed Justin after uh, Burkdale and the holding the wedge and all that kind of stuff. Um, it had been a while, and, and reasons best known to themselves, the agency that had him put him straight out the week after, and that's when he famously missed, I think it's 21 cuts in a row. Uh, uh, for for those, I'm not even sure I remember. For the uh, re- recount, what is what is the anecdote you're referring to with the holding the wedge? So at Burkdale, Burkdale, uh, Rosie, Justin Roses is an amateur, um, and he was doing very well in, in Burkdale. And then he ultimately ended up holding a wedge from I think 80 yards or 60 yards or something, and to make, I think it was even to make to make birdie to finish fourth as an amateur in the Open Championship. Um, and then so his uh, stock just skyrocketed skyrocketed and we were recruiting him and, and, and sadly he didn't choose us even though I had a very close personal relationship he, for other reasons he decided to go with another agency okay. and that's part and parcel of being an agent Got the it. day you sign them and the day they leave that's just you know so then he came to you he some came years to later us, he came to us a little bit later because okay. we ended up buying the company which he was <laughs> that's, um, that's one way to get your guy yeah so I represented Justin for a few years and again then he got a very good offer from a, a big agency that we did not want to match financially um, and when you and, say so when you're representing someone like Justin Rose you're representing him for his own sponsors what logos he's wearing on his shirt what clubs he's wearing or playing all those kind of things everything Everything. So again, you're looking at what um, what we call endemic and non-endemic. So endemic okay. meaning uh, tools of the trade, golf clubs, golf ball, shoe, glove, okay. headwear, patches, um, and then non-endemic, which is everything outside of golf. So when you see Justin with, I'm trying to think of what he's got right now. Um, I think Sorry, he's with Condor. Or it could be BMW, whoever he's with. Sure. Uh, well, that's what we call a non-endemic. So it's not a golf company, yep. um, and you are looking to place the client and sell the client into a corporation to use that client in outings, um, what we call name and likeness, um, so that they will obviously use that particular player yeah. in their marketing efforts. And so, 
you, you, you represented him for a few years and then he just went to a bigger agency he because to, his, they were guaranteeing more money? Or? They were guaranteeing more money. Um, and um, I, I'm still very good friends with Justin. I saw him at the Open a few weeks ago and introduced him to my son. He got a kick out of it. And um, he is the, what you see is what you get with Justin. He's the 100% the real deal. He's Got a great it. guy. He the way he handled it, and I always remember it. The way he handled leaving me, and we're friends. Yeah, uh, he did it completely the right way. He didn't scurry away and did something. He said, "Listen, I need to talk to you. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I've been made this offer. He, he shared the numbers with me, and I said, Justin, we can't match that. And I appreciate you letting me know. And my advice is take the money. And he did. And so to this point, and there've been many instances." well publicized where players have left their agent um where it hasn't gone down like that right and that's why i have the respect i do for justin and all he's achieved and even though he went on to win at marion and i wish i'd be as been his agent that's not the way it works in our business so how many years before that do you think that that transition happened for him um oh that was many years before i mean i'm trying to think when it would have been you know 10 years before something Got like that. It. maybe okay. maybe more but i'm the biggest fan ever and was so you still have a relationship with Justin? And I saw him on the at the range at the Open. He hadn't seen me for years, and there was a bear hug, and I introduced him to Jack and, and my son, and, and then we followed him um, on the, I guess it was the Wednesday, when he was playing with Bryson in the practice round. This is just at St. Andrews. Just, just at yeah. St. Andrews yep. at the 150th Open, and walked with him um, and saw him pull up. I knew as soon as I saw him swing the golf club on, he was on four mm -hmm. and tweaked his back. And then I said to Jack, he's done. Because I've seen that look before. Uh, and then he said to Bryson, i got to go. And then he went to the physio, and you'll recall, and Thursday yeah. morning he pulled down. Yeah, I could see it coming, which is a shame. But he's, yeah. a, he's a great guy. Um, how many Opens have you been to? Uh, I've been going to the Open since 1980. Every year? Not every year. I've okay. missed a few. <laughs> okay. I've missed a few. At Muirfield, 1980. Um, by all accounts, I have not been to the Open yet. You know, obviously, bucket list for me. I want, I want to do it, but... <clears throat> Tell us about what was the experience like at, at St. Andrews for the 150th. You know, as I said, I've been going a long time. This was the best. I wrote to the to the people I know at the Open. This was the best managed, best um, Open I've ever been to. Um, not just because it was 150th, but the staging by the RNA was absolutely first class. And, and you know, the, the weather was great, so that helped. But that still ultimately doesn't impact staging. They right. clearly spent a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, and it showed from transportation through St. Andrews, which is a tricky little place. I met, if you've been going since 1980, I imagine you've been to an Open at St. Andrews before. I have. Was it vastly different? It was, it was just bigger and better, right. new and improved. I, you know, they thought about it and bought, they've got great people at work there. And they just managed it brilliantly. Uh, from the event they had on the, I think it was a, when was that event with Tiger and they had the kind of champions challenge right right four holes one yeah two um, 17 18 maybe tuesday, I think. tuesday maybe was it tuesday i don't I remember. remember but we saw that and saw tiger and it was it was just well done and well thought through and you know the rna is not afraid under martin slumbers to try some things yes there's there's a tradition and a heritage to the rna mm -hmm. but they're not afraid to push the envelope and try doing some different things to the betterment of the game um, and, and they did a fantastic job. Do you go back um, 
across the pond often? Every year. We, well, every year. We, we, this coincided with the trips to North Berwick. We go to North Berwick every year. Very nice. Um, I think I saw, I saw a couple of your pictures yeah. on, on social. Um, <clears throat> has the impact, has, has this kind of golf boom that's happening here in the States, is, is it kind of identical over there? Or, or? It, it is. Well, it was identical. But, yeah, no, there's, it's hard to get tee times. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest impact for the, the brand name courses um, is you can't get a tee time. I mean, they're sold out for 23. If you're talking about St. Andrews, um, Royal County Down, Port Rush, you know, Royal Liverpool, all of these kinds of venues for American visitors. Did, did those, so those are like the, the upper echelon of courses over yeah. there. Um, during the actual pandemic, where there's all kinds of travel restrictions and you'd hear about golf courses, certainly in the UK, that, that rely so much on uh, international, certainly American visitors and golfers. <clears throat> Did that, did that like top 10, like top tier of golf courses, did they struggle during the pandemic? Or there, or there was enough golfers locally that could get there? That yeah, there fine. were enough. I mean, obviously they missed 275 pound green fees sure. because locals are not paying that, right, especially okay. in Britain. We're not used to paying the amount of money to play golf that mm-hmm. you'll play here. I mean, the average membership at a club, and I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's more like a thousand pounds a year. So sort of $1,400 a year. Mm as opposed to $1,400 a month right. at, at private clubs in America. So, Brits, we bulk at seeing the numbers over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the most private, private club, with the kind of Muirfields of this world, they will still allow non-members to access the golf courses. And they'll charge you to do that, but they essentially uh, take that money and, and subsidize what the members locally pay to be a member of the club so i don't again don't know exactly but i suspect muirfield's no more than 1500 pounds a year i want to get i want to get back to your your your, where your career path is as as an agent and and an agency and everything but do you we'll stay on this for one minute yeah i'm sure because i've I've chatted with you before today and i know you've got some strong opinions about golf and other things do you think that that model could ever be replicated in the united states and, and country clubs uh, I think the, the horse is bolted, but what you are seeing um, is you're seeing uh, certain the, – the replication of golf societies here, which is a tradition of British golf, where you'll have a group of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father grew up, and it was the Royal Air Force Golf Society, and there were 50 of them. And twice a year, they would go play at allegedly you know, so-called swanky golf clubs. Right private golf clubs and the private golf clubs again in Britain would have them they charge more of a bit of a premium to come Mm -hmm. but they would tell the members listen these guys are coming it's subsidizing your fees and so I think you're starting to see that here with things like Friars um, Outpost Club Mm -hmm. where they're taking a group and there are others there's a lot of them now yeah Uh, yeah well that's the British model of a golf society and we all like we all like it and Certain clubs, uh, they don't like to publicize it, and I don't blame them for that, are telling the members, listen, we've got these guys coming in. They all know they take their hat off when they walk in the clubhouse. They respect the golf course. They respect the game of golf. And they're going to come. And it's a Tuesday at 10 o'clock. And so I think allowing that to happen and access, that's the the thing over here, is it's hard to access these better clubs. And so but you don't see like a like the like the, what I'm always curious about is, you know, obviously you're playing that balance of not pissing off your members and, and maintaining the exclusivity and what they paid for and their access to the golf course whenever they want. But the idea of opening up whatever you're at, 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 at a country club, whatever your slowest time of the week is, 
Tuesday after two o'clock to an hour of public tea times at a premium rate. Do you ever see something like that? Uh, you know, I'd love to see it, but yeah. and I think that is happening with this this model of of the that's how they're achieving that. Right. I don't think they'll uh, go to a model where we're going to open up a tea time tea sheet on golf now, Wingfoot, right. and hey, right. have at it. <laughs> right. um, yeah. Because I don't think the members. That's not why the members joined. They right. they have joined so they can kind of rock up and play nine holes. Mm-hmm. And now you've got these guys in front of us. Um, the the growth in the game that's happened which is pandemic led because of let's all get outdoors and it's relatively safe um i think it seems to be continuing it's tailing off a little you're seeing that yeah. where people have come to the game and kind of drifting away again sure um so uh, but in, i don't in think part i imagine because it's hard to get on a golf course the tea times are golf courses are so packed they're a premium yeah yeah prices are going up yeah uh so so back to your kind of your timeline yeah um so it's, did you get away from being um, that side of the business, the agent? I did because I had some illness and, and less travel and um, focusing on the kids. And really, you know, I'd spent 12 years being on the back of the range watching guys and gals hit four irons for three hours. And after a while, you kind of lose the will to live. <laughs> it's enough. You really, you know, and they just, there's countless buckets of golf balls and they'll just keep hitting them. And meanwhile, I'm waiting around for meetings or whatever. So um, even now, I don't go on tour that often uh, just because, you know, as you know, you've been there and bought the T-shirt. You've been around long enough. You've seen the payoff isn't necessarily worth of just standing there for hours. And, and as the owner of a business, you have to look at the cost of being there. Right. Um, just as it is for anybody who's traveling, it's an expensive business. And if you're looking at that, those numbers, going to spend $2,500 to be there for three or four days... What's the value proposition in that? So, like today at Progressive Golf Ballpark, how many how many players? Uh, I think we have nine. Nine. Are you the sole agent for those nine, or do you have other folks that work? No, with you on your I, we we divide it quite easily down the middle. Anybody who's U.S. based on a U.S. tour, I look after. Anybody's in Europe, Anders looks after my uh, business okay. partner. Interesting. So, um, for example, Lisa Peterson, she's winning today, and that and um, on the Ladies European Tour, she's Swede. Meg McLaren is in um, Europe. Um, I won't go through them all, but the, yeah. if she's they're British, over, British, right? She's a Brit yeah. um, and um, winner on tour this year, and, <clears throat> and pretty well known as a, a great writer and yeah. has a blog where she talks about every aspect of the game of golf, from mental health all the way through. So, at some point, you got well, you know, health related. Otherwise, you, you got away from kind of the agency side of the business. And, and what made you start the, the consulting business, or did those did those overlap? Well, they kind of overlapped, and I was still continuing to run the, the, the consulting business, McDuff, even while I wasn't feeling 100%, not able, but I just, it didn't involve travel. Got it involved it. me being at home and focusing on my health uh, and being able to still advise from afar as opposed to me needing to show up. But how did you start, like, when, like when, when did you start the consulting business? Approximately? Uh, 2000. 2000. And Why? If you're an agent at the time... Because um, the, the bigger agencies tend to be... They're, they're very transaction-oriented. You've seen Jerry Maguire and those... Sure. Uh, and it's all about get the deal done. Show me the money. That's really not my style. Uh-huh. I'd rather have a long-term relationship with client. And um, the money isn't the deciding factor for me. So well, I said for, there's got to be... Big, for big agencies, are those two things like what you do with, with Progressive and what you do with McDuff... 
at the big agencies, are those, are those the same company? Yeah, they could be. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, Wasserman and these kinds of big agencies consult to big brands. I see. Okay. Uh, and we consult to a couple of companies as progressive, I see. Uh, helping them in sports, um, whether it's golf or whether it's looking for other opportunities in sports. Um, but yeah, they're under that umbrella. So if you go, and ProSurf did. When I was there, we had a consulting piece that helped companies utilize sports in the best possible way. And we would be uh, essentially uh, sport agnostic mm-hmm. uh, and say, well, we think tennis is best for you, or we think golf is best, or we think NFL, but whatever that happened to be, but depending on the remit of the client. So McDuff, are you, do you have staff at McDuff? Or no. is it just you? And, no. and you, you're, so you're utilizing your decades of experience in the business. I'm sure you've got a Rolodex that's longer than most in the business uh, going through everything you've yeah. gone through already. Um, got it. Okay. Interesting. Um, so to, to talk a little, a little bit real quickly about, um, or not necessarily quickly, but, uh, you know, so you got back into being an agent. How, how long did you, were you not an agent? Like what was that gap before you got approached by your current partner at Progressive? Probably eight years or something like okay. that. Yeah. Why, why get back into it? You know what? I, I was looking, I was on the road to recovery um, and I was feeling better and feeling more able to travel. Um, and I'm good friends with Anders Davidson, who's the other owner of it. Mm-hmm. And he basically convinced me. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I can, I can add value to this um, by the relationships I have with the existing manufacturers and also outside of that. And also uh, the recruitment side of things and helping him recruit players. Although that said, he did an unbelievable job in recruiting the first half dozen clients we have. Is that a challenge being a kind of the small boutique agency that if one of these players that's currently on the corn fair, for instance, gets really hot, gets really good, all of a sudden makes the tour, blows up, that there's going to be a time that comes where they get poached by some massive Always. agency? <laughs> there isn't an agency who would sit in front of you who said that they're 100% secure in that, that that could, could or could not happen. It, can, it absolutely can happen. Uh, and that's when it's down to the relationship that you have with the player. And it's also down to, to a certain extent to the deals you've done for that player. Sure. So um, that happens and you read about that happen, happen with Rory had an agent, small business, and then he wanted to go off on his own and there was a settlement and things changed. So, yeah. Um, you talked a lot about Greg Norman. Do you still have a relationship with Greg Norman? I do not. No. Do not. No. Um, I'm kind of following what's going on. Sure, I bet. <laughs> uh, let's touch it. But there's a few other. Like, all right, we, we've we've done your career. There's a few other things I want to ask you about. Well, but let we, let's let's talk about some current events. I want to ask you about some, you know, some of your favorite courses. Maybe some local courses. I want I want to ask you about a few things. There's a particular. You, you, you used to have a blog, and I found an old article about some things that make you hot. Right. Uh, that I want to I want to touch on, but let's 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 talk on because um, you in our, in our kind of phone call the other day, you 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 quickly hit on what's going on with with Liv and the PGA Tour. It's the biggest story in, in golf in decades. Give, give us give us your your overall opinion there. So, uh, it's it's complicated. Um, I obviously, some of the listeners will have heard the press conference with the commissioner. Uh, Jay Monahan, who several months ago said, you know, that it will go away, live will go away, and we're doing our own thing, and and his response and the tour's response seems, in my opinion, to have created live two. So now we've got two live tours. 
and we're going to find out by the time this comes out, we will know which players are, all, are leaving on Monday. If indeed that is the case, then a number of players are leaving the PGA Tour and going to live, whether that includes Cam or whether it include whoever else is going to switch from mm-hmm. PGA Tour membership to the uh, live. One thing's for sure is the live is not going away. Um, Norman has uh, a beef and now he's a bit, he has a beef with money. And so he has the Saudi money uh, and they are going to, they've already announced, I think it's 14 events in 23. Mm-hmm. They've already announced that they're going to take the Asian tour uh, and, and uh, put a tremendous amount of money into the Asian tour. Um, and so the, the PGA tour for many, many months, for reasons best known to themselves, uh, didn't think it was going to happen, and their position is was entrenched. And now, um, Tiger and Rory have stepped in as assistant commissioners and said, "This is what we need to do." So um, they've just thrown more money at it, and they've thro- also done some extraordinary things with this PIP money, which is this Player Impact Program. Do you think that there any? There's a lot of talk about how Monaghan basically didn't like didn't do anything for six months after it was, it was it was clear that this was coming down the pike. He thought it was going away, especially after the, the Mickelson comments from Shipnuck's book came out. Um, and then his inaction kind of opened the door for this all to happen. Could, do you, but do you think, could he have done anything differently or, or what, what would that uh, be? I still find it unfathomable as a leader of a large organization that he wouldn't get in the room and listen to what they had to say. Right. Um, you know, keep your enemies, you know, close and whatever the expression is but why would he not take a meeting and say tell me what you're thinking about because now they're talking to the rain group who are a private equity firm and you know the this story's got a lot to run yet a lot long way to run because whilst the live uh and answering your question he should have got in a room tell me what you're thinking of doing you have a wall of money as much money as you want you've already said we you can't we can't outspend you uh, and then, amazingly, he's found a few hundred million dollars, so maybe they can try and compete. But they're not going to compete with their money. Um, so get in a room, and we'll take some of that money and bolster the PGA Tour. And more importantly for me, as a, as a player agent, bolster the secondary tours, the Corn Ferry and the PGA Tour uh, Latin America, mm-hmm. so that the, the new breed of players come through, you're going to have access to those players as well. Because if you don't, these guys are going to go and join the live. As a player agent, this is somewhat good news, just because there's a huge influx of money all over the sport. It, uh, it's, it's you know all boats are being raised, but the the, the why they wouldn't get in, I don't know. Um, the 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 it, it's count punch and counter punch. Mm-hmm. The live is not going to take this recent announcement um, by the tour for this 100 million dollars of pip money which is essentially a popularity contest. Yeah, the pit money, yeah. I, I can't really wrap my head around. Uh, I don't uh, understand. And, and it's so secretive. It's just, it's just, it's, it just seems like all BS. It's just a way to throw some money at their top list. It's just another way to... Yeah. And bear in mind, the initial pit money uh, was... Was it $50 million? I'm not to, sure. For 10 guys, and yeah. five of those guys took the money and left. Right. And they're with the live. So that yeah. wasn't didn't, the best didn't, didn't use have of quite, funds. Didn't have quite the impact. Didn't have before. the impact, and... You know, you're now going to allow these 20 guys who, I don't know, because they've got better social media than everybody else or yeah. 
they're the most popular guys are going to get into these events. What, what I mean, how do you see this all playing out? Because one of like my what bothers me, I think, more than anything about it is just the fact that the product likely suffers simply because you take any sport, not just golf, you take football, basketball, soccer, whatever, and you and you spread it out across multiple leagues. I guess traditional soccer. Uh, or uh, traditional football, I should say. Uh, you know, in, in Europe, they've they've done that and succeeded well. But it hasn't worked. In, it hasn't worked in the United States, right? You know, with the USFL versus football. I mean, there was a merger way back when the AFL and the NFL, or the ABA and the NBA. But typically, multiple products is a you know is a it dilutes what you're washing and and is worse for the fan. I think that's that's my big concern. Is all, all of a sudden you're, you know, hopefully the four majors still have everybody and that they're still the majors and they still matter so much but what you're watching just isn't that great you get twice as much right so separated that it's not it's just not as good of a product for the fan and and the pga tour has always been very u.s centric and Mm -hmm. all of this talk of world golf championships never materialized and now they've now essentially they're going to have i think 14 world golf championships and you're going to have the top players and at the same time uh, there's no announcement about playing anywhere apart from America. Right. Right? No, we may do the Scottish Open. Okay. And not the best golf course in East Lothian at Renaissance Club. And so it, all that's doing is allowing the live to say, well, we're great. We'll take the rest of the world. Now, that leaves you Australia, great golf courses, Asia, great golf courses, Africa, yeah. Europe, and the, you know what's the other and the television market throughout the rest of the world is still pretty large still pretty large and you know the last time I looked there were more people outside of America than are in America correct right and that's where the game continues to grow well right. and all this talk of growth of the game and that we're growing the game as everybody knows is complete yeah. BS this but is so, about money so, but, so how do you see the landscape five years from now I I, I have no idea is the answer but I, I still hope that they will all get in a room and work this out because it's great for player agents because if you have players who are in either of these scenarios they are going to the players are going to make more money um but it's it is not good for uh professional golf in the long run that this will happen and you have a potential scenario where you have two tours with very good players. So over here, we've got Bryson and we've got DJ and, and, and etc. Mm-hmm. And there are more to come, right? And then over here, you've got the PGA Tour um, who have their set of players. Okay, it's Rory and, and um, you know, whoever else is, uh, is, is Justin Thomas, etc. So now, as, and I, at the end of the day, I don't think the consumer really cares. Yeah. This is a golf specific yeah. industry thing I think if you ask people and members at Washington Golf they're like I don't even know the difference but why would they why would they care they just want uh, the best possible players playing on the best possible golf courses which again the PGA Tour rarely does mm-hmm. they play on average golf courses um, and so they need to get it worked out yeah. and again the average golf consumer doesn't really care how much they're playing for they don't even know PGA Tour doesn't even publish it try find it Right. On the Monday morning for fantasy golf, you can't find it. What, the purses? The purse. They tell you, here's the purse. Yeah. And then the next, okay, try and find how much they won. It's, yeah. You have to look and look and yeah. look and look. What about the idea, I mean, even if you take um, opinions of the Saudi Arabian government out of it, 
right. just the fact that it is a government running a golf tour, running a sports league. Right. Does that give you pause? No. And, and I, the, the talk about Saudi Arabia is a, a complete, um, you know, the old expression is MacGuffin in the book world. It, it's just a red herring. But is there another example of a sports league that's literally run by the government? Well, it's not really or, run or, by or the fun, government. Or funded by the government. They're funded by the government. Sure. Uh, I, I, that's a good question. I honestly yeah. don't know that. But they're not running the golf tournaments. The, the Live has hired extremely good people uh, to run inside the ropes and outside the ropes. And if indeed they do what they say they're going to do, or rumored that they start selling the teams yeah. and these silly names go away and they start selling it to Cisco and IBM and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but it does strike me, because, I mean, we can go off this in a second, but the, when it is run by a government, you know, the way it's set up right now, it's going to take some time. They're, they're putting so much money into it. it uh, in theory, it's going to take quite some time before they turn a profit. And their motivation seems to be maybe profit's not their motivation. I don't think profit is the motivation. Exactly. So if profit's not the motivation, at some point, whether it be, I mean, they clearly seem very committed to it. But three years, five years, seven years, at some point they might decide, let's put our focus elsewhere. And because it's government run, they can just turn it off like a switch. They, and they could. And now, and now Bryson and DJ and et cetera are now looking for a job somewhere else. That could happen. Yeah. Uh, it isn't a great amount of money. In the grand scheme of things, Aramco's quarterly number, they made $48 billion net. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we're taking 5% of that and we're going to go own golf or work within the golf environment. So the money thing is, is for the Saudis. I've done business in the Middle East. You know, you think you're well off and then you go to the Middle East and forget it. <laughs> I mean, it's money you've never seen before. Can I even imagine if they do go through with this plan to create this city that's 100 miles long and what have you? uh, This is a rounding error. Right. Um, So it's the other thing that are they concerned about the profitability? I don't know. But and and there's talk of oh well they don't have a television deal and this is you know significant that they're running it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. There are many, many outlets looking for content. They will find a television partner. Uh, people love- by, by the way, you talk to any kid under the age of 30 and, and YouTube is a television deal. Well, and this is my point <laughs> I'm about to make is I try to get my son who's 16, keen on golf, to get him to sit down on Sunday afternoon and watch the, the product that the PGA Tour puts out on NBC or CBS. Uh, you've got no chance. And I said, hey, watch the live. It's on YouTube. And it's boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Things are happening. There's a shot every 30 seconds, and this is what happened. In the, and so he's like, oh, actually, he stuck with it for an hour. And he goes, oh, it's just a bit more exciting and a bit more interesting. I said, well, okay, yeah, it is. And everyone's loving the fact, oh, well, there's only 100,000 people watching. Well, go look at the Golf Channel's numbers. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So. Um, interesting. So for folks listening, if you get the opportunity to play a round of golf with Nick, it's a, it's, it'll be a lively conversation. You got, you got, <laughs> you got uh, like the, we, we only played once. We played at Laurel Hill, yeah, probably about a year ago. But I had a great time. We played. Um, I can't remember what we played. We essentially played a, a, a two-on-two kind of best ball, yeah, uh, match. And, and and you and Josh TV beat us. Um, but but it was great conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, speaking of that, so so where uh, where in the DC area do you live? Uh, Bethesda. Bethesda. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a home course? Or I, I do not. No, I'm on the Digest panel, and so I get to go around and play different places. Uh, I guess our home course is Falls Road. 
the Falls Road was my, my high school home course. Love, Love Falls it. Road. Um, can you talk about that? How long have you been a, on, on the Golf Digest panel? Uh, about 10 years. About 10 years. Yeah. Um, for, for golf, I mean, that, traditionally that's been the dream role of any golfer is being, being on one of these ratings panels where you can kind of, I mean, are you, are, can you, you know, dispel the myths? Can you, can you call up a club and just say, I'm a Raider? Can I come out? And they just open the doors? Uh, no, we have a list and okay. uh, respectfully ask if it's appropriate to come out at a certain time. Certain clubs, they will say, yes, you can come. And we always give notice and always write thank you notes afterwards. Um, and, um, but you can't call up. Cyprus and say, hey, can I come out and play? Um, there are lists. The, the list says where you can play and where you can't play. Do you have to maintain your status as a Raider? Do you have to play X number of courses across X number of geographic area every year? Or no, no there's, I think, there, as I understand it, there are Raiders, that, there are Raiders in every state. Yeah. Um, you have to um, submit. I, d- I don't think there's a minimum number of rankings because when I wasn't well, I didn't, wasn't able to do it. But um, the, uh, there are... I don't know, six or ten or something like that. It's not as if you have to... And some guys play every week. Right. Uh, I don't have the, the ability to be able to do that. But right. uh, it's um, it's well run, a well-run program, and Golf Week has one as well, I think, and Golf Magazine has one as well. So. Yeah. Um, I've got... Uh, I've, I've started to read. I haven't finished it, but there's a, there's a book about all of the different panels by Jonathan Cummings called The Ratings Game. Right. And I actually heard him on the Fried Egg podcast, and, and, it, and it got me to buy the book, and I started to read it. i got to finish it, but it kind of breaks down all the differences. Pretty interesting. Um, so as a Raider, yeah. you know, the D.C. area, um, you know, there's kind of one of the reasons I started this podcast was, you know, the, if, if this podcast is a thesis, it's almost like defending D.C. area golf. Uh, and because if you if you if you... Follow a lot of people that are really into golf architecture and, and golf courses. This area doesn't have the best reputation for it's, classic yeah. golf course right, design, like Philly, for right? Exactly. Yeah. And so the podcast was like, well, you know that that may be the case. It's certainly up for debate. But I, I wanted to elevate that this is still a huge golf town, and the personalities right. here, and there's so many people that are so into golf. Um, but that being said, what you know, if we stick to you know within <laughs> 50 miles of, of DC, yeah, you know, what are what are some that stand out for you? Uh, I th- I was just at um, Congressional and playing the the new blue, Andrew Green's blue, yeah, uh, which I think is exceptional. I think it's jumped back, in my opinion, back to number one. Uh, I think it, it had lost its way architecturally, as many people who know a lot more about this than me would would agree. I think it, it, he's done a great job. What uh, do you think about the, the controversial hole there seems to be number 10, the par three? I mean, yeah, I don't mind a short par three. I think uh, there's nothing wrong with having a short par three. I don't I don't have a problem with it. It's, yeah. um, I think it's absolutely... Is it the best hole in the golf course? No, but I think yeah. it's just fine as a bridge between as you move up to the yeah. new, much improved eleven. Um, yes, number eleven is fantastic. Yeah, great golf honor, which it wasn't before. Yeah, uh, with the water sneaky water on the right, which yeah. is which and is it awesome. blends right into twelve really with, with the connected fairway. I think he's done a great job, yeah. and he's yeah. the kind of seems to be one of the new rock and roll stars in the industry. Sure, I, I um, fortunately get to play now and again Burning Tree. I think Burning Tree is with the with the redo is very very good. Um, I, I imagine not too many listeners have played Burning Tree, but maybe I'm wrong. I know I haven't. Uh, worth uh, worth trying to find somebody. Um, um, I'm I'm a big fan of RTJ. 
I've always liked RTJ. It's out there. Yeah. I don't know if it's 50 miles. Within your definition of 50 miles, I don't know. Uh, that's close. close. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, and they're, they're hosting the Solheim Cup in 2024. Are they? Okay. Yeah. Um, publicly, I think, um, I think Laurel Hill, we talked about where you and I play, I think yeah. is great. Uh, yeah. Josh Steven introduced me to Laurel, and I've been out there for quite a few times. I think that's great. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it isn't Philly. I mean, you're not discovering places in Philly like Lulu. You go, right. well, what, yeah. what happened here? Where's this right. from? Uh, it doesn't have that. Um, I think the new and improved wash golf is much better than it was. Um, and this is Tom Doak's done it with Mike McCartan's help. Yep. It, it's, it's a much better golf course where, we, where we're being hosted today. Uh, but, yeah, there, you can't easily name half a dozen golf courses, which you can in Chicago or you can in Philadelphia. Right, right. Um, let's talk about a little bit. So before, before I let you go, we're, we're, we're coming up on we're a little bit over an hour here. Um, I, I came across you see you, uh, it seems to be you, you maybe gave it up at some point but you used to have a blog that can still be found out there right. related to McDuff Golf and there was an article on there that I thought was I thought was great um, where you kind of listed off some things that uh, you didn't you didn't love in golf or that drove you a little crazy I think you titled it things that make me hot and okay I'll, I'll, I'll let you sound off a little bit on, on, on each one even even if brief but I'll, I'll bring up a couple on one uh, I, I totally get this, especially coming from from uh, England, is uh, golf carts. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up playing by walking. I still sure. believe golf is a walking game. Uh, I still despise getting to the ball too soon. Uh, and I don't enjoy seeing golf carts, the, the paths that are on golf courses yeah. and spoiling the view. Um, you know, it's just not my way to play golf. Given the choice, I would always walk and recommend whoever's listening that just walk. Take less clubs if, or take less golf balls. Take less of everything if you want to lighten the load. Um, take eight I think clubs. one of the big misconceptions with, with golf carts is that it, it speeds the round up. Oh, no. It, well, it's well proven. It doesn't speed it up. But most people don't know that. No. They think because we're driving... Right. 15 miles an hour, we're going quicker. Well, you're not because you can't go anywhere near the green and you've got... Now they've got these carts where you go a certain place and, and they yeah. won't allow you to go anywhere else. You have to back up. Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, not, not my idea. And if you go play golf in the UK, you'll find very few golf courses that have golf carts. We call them buggies. But Even like the newer design golf courses over there? Some of the newer ones do have them because yeah. it's a revenue generator. Right. Um, but um, not my way to play. But it certainly seems like there's a lot of golf courses here that the way it was just the way the golf the land they had or the property they had like if it was some kind of residential golf development that walking is just not really an option no and you certainly need that so certainly as you say residential development where you got walks from greens to tees that are half half a mile mile. right (laughs) drives you crazy yeah um this one uh, you know it totally makes sense i'm not sure i've ever actually thought about it the double logo (laughs) yeah the double logo is a kind of a is a Thing. I've probably been guilty of it once or twice. Yeah, it, it's particularly when you're taking name brand golf courses. If, we, if you're wearing a Cypress logo on your shirt <laughs> and you're wearing a Chicago Golf Club hat, then immediately you should be banned from our four ball. And if you <laughs> well, go the one, triple one, logo, one logo at a time, if you go the triple logo and you've got the belt on <laughs> as well, then you really then you just look like a clown. To, need a bigger mirror to get dressed in. Um, range finders for amateurs. Yeah, it's just another thing that... I'm guilty of this. I don't use a rangefinder. Um, 
that there's 150 yard stakes out. I'm a reasonably good golfer and kind of know my distances. Um, most people who use range finders don't know if they're hitting 140 or 180, and then they're standing over it, going, "Oh, I got 166." So I say to them, "Okay, show me a 166 yard shot," and they can't do it because they're not good enough. So all it does is just one more thing. Then they can't find the flag. Oh, right. oh, it's not. Oh, I'm picking up the cart behind me. I'm like, just hit the ball. Right. Yeah, we aim, up- aim for the center of the green. Do you? But what about? Do you, I mean, it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm curious about your because you seem to be a, 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 you know you've been in the game longer. You're more, you know more of a traditionalist. Um, yardage markers on golf courses. I don't mind that. That's fine. I and mean, that's that. I, I I wish there was more of them. I, 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 but but I, I I get the sense that that some um, traditionalists, especially of golf course architecture. You know that they don't want any. They don't want any markers out there because it spoils the view or the. No, and the you aesthetics. know the traditional way you'd put a little bush there for 150 yards or a tree or something. I don't mind that. And you just wander by. Your ball's 20 yards ahead, and you wander by. You look down. It's 153. Okay, must. So I've got 133 ish. Yeah. Very few of us are good enough to know how far 133 yards are. Right. The tour guys do, but the rest of us aren't getting paid. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. A um, couple more here. Um, fixed height tees. <laughs> fixed height tees, really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I actually wrote that one down because I don't think I, I didn't even think I knew what that was. Yeah. And then the other day, I grabbed a handful of tees. I've got this like box in my garage. Yeah. And one ended up, and I and I and I reached in. I played nine holes last Monday, and there was a fixed tight tee in my bag. Right. And I played it, and I was like, "Oh, this is what he's talking about." Right. And I didn't. I don't even think I knew what it was. If if you're not good enough to know what height tee up your ball, you really shouldn't be out there. The other thing is they don't work because yeah. grass tends to be spongy, so it's either going down in the ground or it's on the top. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But here's another one. Because a lot of this all goes back to, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the influx of golfers into, into the sport uh, and, and packed uh, golf courses and tee sheets, holding out every putt. Yeah. And I had a conversation with, with, with another gentleman that I played with recently, and they were, they were keen on playing um, rattle bottom golf, making sure, you know, that it wasn't really a, a true score if you didn't hole out every single putt. Um, it, it did give them they were certainly better than me at, at making three footers right because that's what they do every time uh, but my argument has always been you know if we're talking about pace of play right you know uh, and I grew up in Britain where we pl- predominantly play match play so and, and the term inside the leather and you know sometimes you see on the tour occasionally guys would question sure. it but you're supposed to be having fun Right? That's the whole point of golf. You're playing with people you would like to play with and sharing all the joys that golf brings and uh, really working hard over a two and a half foot putt when I can just give it to you and we can half the match. That's all we want. Right. We're not trying to play on tour. So, and I play with people off 18 handicap who insist on putting it out. And I say something, I'm like, you know, that's good. Pick it up. And what, I just yeah. pick it up for them because right. I can't bear it. We play at Fool's Row. We play with. You know, we just play with whoever. That's one of the funs of going out to public golf courses. You sure. play with two guys. And after a while, if they start holding out and moving the fl- I'm like, that's good. And they're like, oh, you know, it's two feet. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Just let's keep moving. <laughs> um, well, listen, this has been, this has been terrific. Um, I, I appreciate you 
taking some time, setting us up here at Washington Golf and Country Club in the Wilson Room. Um, probably a long time before I get back into this room. Uh, so, but this, is, this has been cool. I appreciate you sharing all of your, um, your, your backstory, your history, and your expertise on this, on this great game. And best of luck on September 12th for the 100-hole hike at, uh, at Schoolhouse 9. And if anybody's listening they don't know what Schoolhouse 9 is, look back at my catalog. I, I did interview you did, yeah. uh, Cliff Miller and Mike McCartan on this podcast to talk all about Schoolhouse 9. So best of luck. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Alex. Excellent. I don't have a good golf game. But I don't really care. I'm a, I'm a regular dude living in D.C., and I want to know about D.C.-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about D.C. golf. 